Welcome to Diggin' the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Hello, John. How are you? Good to see you again, as always. How am I? (laughs) Somebody somebody this morning, uh, I'm good, but somebody this morning had a great Italian quote and and the 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 answer of how 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 you are it's like i woke up and i saw the ceiling <laughs> i'm alive there you go there you go you know and uh when when i gra- when i get up it's too dark in the room so you know uh, i see but, yeah i'm sure you could see the, it can't be that dark i'm sure you could see the ceiling you know uh, once your eyes adapt but yeah um, <laughs> glad to know how early you get up um <laughs> And we have enough ambient light that I can always see the ceiling. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're in the city. Well, that, that right. does it. You know, I'm in the countryside, yeah. so it's pretty dumb. Anyway, yes, I'm, I'm good. I'm more than alive. I'm, I'm actually quite good. And, and uh, it's been a busy, hectic week uh, and will be through Sunday. It's funny. It's like here we are. Here I am teaching mindfulness and meditation. And it's like a hectic week is because there's too much teaching. Too much meditation. <laughs> too much mindfulness. Yeah. It's crazy. Something has to, anyway, just happened to be the timing of things. And, you know, it's a, uh, I've been, one of the classes I've been teaching, it's called Finding Balance. Mm. And I decided, you know, even though I'm teaching for New York Insight, I decided, you know, it's basically teachings around equanimity, but I wanted to integrate this teaching from Vasubandhu called, uh, based on the Yogacara teachings. The author of that is Ben Connolly, who's a Zen teacher out in, in uh, Minneapolis, who I've met and really enjoy, and I've enjoyed the book. But it's really, you know, brings in this this concept, and I I hate to use the word concept, and I hate even to use the word non-duality, <laughs> because just even the concept and the word creates a certain duality. I know you've you've done a video on this in the past about whether it's actually present in the early Buddhist teachings, and right. I've always been and and my actually my my primary teacher many years ago, Matt Flickstein, you know, has been teaching non-duality as well, you know, and and from from the Theravada perspective as well as bringing other perspectives, you know, later perspectives in, mm. and you know, while there may not be. That specific term is never stated. Well, it is, but only in certain contexts. It's, yeah. it's not. How is it stated? I mean, what's, how is it actually translated? I mean, what's the. I've forgotten the Pali term. I mean, it's Advaita is the term in, in Sanskrit. Right. I, I believe right. it's uh, the Something same. Something similar to that. Yeah. Advayang, I think, is in, is yeah, in Pali. In any way, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It, it appears in, a, in a, a few of the texts from the early tradition, from the Pali tradition. Yeah. It appears in the context of certain kinds of meditation, non-dual meditations, uh, mm-hmm. but they're explicitly said to be uh, conditioned meditations. That is to say, they're not uh, meditations uh, that are, you know, the equivalent of enlightenment. They're not sort of right. they're they're the equivalent of sort of like a jhanic jhanic type meditation, mm. um, or uh, one of the formless meditations. And uh, I think there's one time when or actually a couple of times when non-duality is used to describe uh, Brahma-vihara-type meditations. Right. 
presume, I mean, it's not explained as to why, how and why they're non-dual, but it's, I, I would expect it's because there's uh, a, a dissolving of the, the, the sense of, uh, of self and other. Right, subject and object. Subject and object. And yeah. so you're able to, this, the, the metta, the, the loving kindness, the compassion is therefore um, sort of universal in a sense. Yeah, and the equanimity. Um, equanimity and, yeah, and certainly you know uh resonant joy i mean sure so, all of them <laughs> so that you know that i think is is key to this this mm-hmm. you know is the the on on one end and and in in the in these yoga chara teachings and and maybe we'll you know we can invite ben sometime on as a guest but because he's he's written a very cogent and clear book on these teachings two books um you know where in this case, it's the three na- teaching on the three natures. One of which is the imagined realm, and the other is the conditioned realm, and the final is the fully realized realm. The imagined and conditioned realm would be the sort of dualistic way we go go through the day. I mean, we and and we live our lives and and relate to others, uh, but it's also, you know, in a way, the cause of our dukkha, the cause of you know everything that arises that sets us out of balance whether it's me personally or society <laughs> and it, and the moment we kind of set up these dualities of yours and mine and you know my state your state uh my country your country whatever whatever the duality is you know we've set ourselves up for problems <laughs> let's say somewhat unavoidable and so so the the the, the non-duality is a realization that those are just all fabrications. You know, the idea of you, the idea of me is a fabrication, though it's also here, right? And so how do we hold these things in balance? You know, what is it like to experience life in a, in, you know, without that duality, mm. without that subject? And, and, and do we recognize when we actually do? And it's true, like loving kindness and compassion and, and equanimity are certainly, they they set, I would say, they set the table for it or they set the ground for it, you know, that, well, of course, you know, how, how could I not love someone? How could I not unconditionally love someone if, in a sense, there is no subject-object there? If there's no me and there's no that person, there's just this suchness, or this thusness, this isness, this whatever is arising that is imagined into you and me. If we're able to kind of recognize that, how does that change the way we live? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, in the early tradition, this is described very differently, as you know. And so, I mean, what you're describing is indeed is what what we find in later schools of Buddhism, such as. I would say most specifically the Yogacara school, um, mm-hmm. coming out of ideas of Nagarjuna, which were not Yogacara, but but right. they were then uh, refined or, or somewhat uh, altered into the Yogacara understanding of the world, this kind of non-dual consciousness that encompasses all in a certain sense. It's described very differently, as as you know, in the early texts, and which is, I mean, I should remark, I mean, I did this video, as as you say, a while back which was uh, partly because non-dualism is so important in later Buddhism, and yet, just for example, Bhikkhu Bodhi very famously says that, you know, you cannot find the non, uh, you know, a non-dual uh, philosophy in the teaching of the Buddha. I mean, that is to say, in the early teachings, in the Pali teachings. 
I mean, again, you find it in these little places where it's a where it's a form of conditional meditation, but you don't find it as a as an expression of the Dharma. It can be seen. I mean, Bhikkhu Bodhi says you can't find it anywhere. That's probably overstating it a little bit because, you know, in in particular, uh, there's this very famous statement from early Buddhism that from the Buddha that uh, all things are non-self. And if you take that as an expression of non-dual, non, non-duality, right. that yeah. all things are non-self, you know, that seems to, you know, there you go. I mean, that's a kind of non-dualism. <laughs> but the Buddha doesn't usually describe it that way. Right. Um, he does, in a couple of places in the early texts, say that it's wrong to think of, of myself as the world. In other words, if, you know, there's a way of looking at non-dualism which is very similar to, for example, the, the Upanishadic teachings that the Buddha was uh, opposed to, that oneself is identical to Brahman, to this universal principle of reality, right. where we, instead of thinking in terms of non-self, we're thinking in terms of a big self, you know, that... That's, that's not, yeah, which it, is just another duality in a sense, because... It, it could be. Yeah. Of course, it's, it's thought of yeah. as non-dual within the, the Brahminic tradition. Right. Uh, I mean, Advaita Vedanta being the perfect example. I mean, Advaita Vedanta being a sort of a form of Hinduism. By the way, not the only form of Hinduism. Some people think that it's sort of that is Hinduism, whereas it's one interpretation of, of in particular, Hindu... Uh, uh, values and beliefs that comes from certain uh, passages in the Upanishads and elsewhere. And so it can be seen in that way. It's just all these things are a little complicated. I mean, well, they can yeah, all be seen I mean, in different directions. Exactly. So. And what's so interesting about it, <clears throat> and, and actually this points to the Heart Sutra, which is, is probably the most concise, in a sense, the, the most concise rendering of non dualism, you know, but it's, it all comes down to how we attach to language to something. It doesn't all come down to that, but we can get attached to language, even mm-hmm. the, the word. You know, it's like, right. you know, I practice this. Well, as opposed to what? You know, it's like. Well, it's also the, the difference, or at least the, we're looking at in, with the Heart Sutra, this idea of emptiness, mm-hmm. which is related to non-dualism, but isn't quite the same thing. I mean, they're, they're related very closely. But it's also talking about form. You know, yeah, and, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, that, and so it's form and emptiness, emptiness which are, are yeah. the dualities that we've created. Mm-hmm. You know, form is until, emptiness, emptiness is right. Form, you know. and, and, you know, all these words that we've attached to various aspects of our being mm-hmm. are just concepts. Right. right, right. And then we get into this whole <laughs> idea of concepts being either empty, on the one hand, described as being empty, or on the other hand, this idea that all concepts involve some form of duality. The concept is either present or absent in a right. particular, and so you end up saying that you know uh, we have to sort of get beyond concepts, uh, which is I think where a lot of this is going. Yeah. Is sort of over you know getting getting beyond description, getting beyond concepts uh, to as you say the sort of suchness, um, although that is itself a concept, of course. Of course, um, yeah. Or it's a yeah. But I mean, the pro- yeah. at least from you know from from my perspective, coming from a sort of an early Buddhist uh, way of looking at things, yeah, you know, I mean, the Buddha used all kinds of concepts and concepts he used because they were they were, they were helpful. helpful. They're yeah. helpful to oh, you, oh, absolutely, and all kinds of like numbers of things. I mean, it's not yeah. that there weren't two; it's that the, yeah, there's four noble truths. <laughs> there's eight things in the path. There's you know twelve pieces. You know, it's just there's no end of numbers. And so it's know? like we we have the concepts, and the concepts yeah. are pointing to something, mm-hmm. and and uh, at some point. The pointing, you know, leads us somewhere, 
and that somewhere in that once we get to that once we uh it's not somewhere i mean it's a it's a realization once that realization occurs the concepts are no longer very important in you know except for except knowing that they're there and 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 they're useful and it's like obviously he had the buddha came up with all these had to come up with all these concepts because that was how he was going to teach uh, you know, teaching, you know, in a, in a way that people could clearly understand it. Mm-hmm. The finger pointing at the moon, as they say. In yeah. The yeah. And, you know, which is a great image. And, you know, then as long as we're on Zen, you know, it's like the, the, the ox herding pictures, which are about that realization, you know, and, and okay. And once it's realized, you go back to living your life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and you sort of, you, we exist in this wor- world of objects and subjects. Mm-hmm. The question is, how much are we grasping onto them? And do we recognize that as soon as we do grasp, right. we're setting ourselves up mm-hmm. for, for some level of dukkha, at least momentarily, until we loosen that grip, you know? And, and so, and, and then, of course, you know, the problem is, is, as we've alluded to, that people get attached to the idea of non-duality, which is just another concept. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, there's also a realization that, and this is where these three natures, you know, can be helpful. It's like the, the fully realized nature, which, which would be, you know, the nature, say, of a Buddha. There's a recognition that it integrates everything else too, which doesn't mean that it's all one, <laughs> or that it's, you know. But there's a certain, again, it's just it's a realization that yes, subject and object are, are fabrications, you know. You know, I can look at this microphone and I see that it's a real microphone. But of course, <clears throat> looked at more closely, I realize that it's just a combination of a lot of elements and uh, uh, and and you know engineering and a lot of a lot of things went into creating this microphone. So, is it actually a thing, or is it just a process of things mm-hmm. um, of of other things? You know, which were also processes of other things. So, there's there's that kind of understanding. You know, which doesn't mean it's not here, <laughs> right? Because exactly. obviously it is. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like saying that the subject and object distinction is one that also is here. I mean, here right. it is in front of us, right? <laughs> it's just you know, it's just sort of something that you can't take too seriously. Yeah. But it, here it is. Yeah, and you know, which I mean, as we're talking, what's coming to my mind is, oh yeah, and then we have that conversation about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing or is it not a thing? Or is it is it is it sentient or not? You know, is right. it? Or in fact, you know, because we're we're communicating in, in in a way that you know we're not with each other. So are you a subject? You know, what are in this context? You know, what am I talking to? Who am I talking to? You know, it's like I'm talking to this bunch of digits. Yeah, you know, that is coming through my screen and my headset, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of you know even looked at, at that way. It's like it's all just there's all just processes going on. Mm -hmm. So where is the subject and where is the object? Because those things are continually dissolving and reappearing in other Mm -hmm. ways. And it's kind of, so it, to me, I mean, as, and I, and I hate the term, frankly, Mm. non-dual because it just, it does just kind of set up a, a duality. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sort of, you know, it reminds me of, uh, Nagarjuna's, a statement about emptiness where he says, you know, all things are empty, 
And somebody who then, I forgot, I won't get it exactly, but he says something like, you know, and the person who grasps that emptiness is incorrigible. You know, it's right. like, yeah. you know, emptiness itself is empty. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, you have to think of emptiness being in the realm of, of the conventional as much as anything else is, because it's a right, concept. Uh, concept, yeah. So you have to be, you know, and a lot of people like, well, I'm, I won't speak for other people, but I certainly <laughs> have seen at least uh, things that I would take to be people taking it a little bit, you know, like really grasping at it, you know. Well, and then, of course, we, you know, the danger is that people, well, there's nothing here. What do I, why do I care? You know, and that's and, the and other that's, side. That's of it. the, the, the mm -hmm. dark side of it. That's the bypassing mm -hmm. side of it. That's the complete misunderstanding of it because yeah. in fact, it's just the opposite. <laughs> right. How can you not care? It's you. It's right. me. You know, it's like, it's, uh, if I harm the other, I'm harming myself, you know, which, you know, is a pretty basic understanding. And it also, I think it also under, estimates the importance of the conventional mm -hmm. um i mean the conventional this is what i'm saying when i say that you know in early buddhism there's all this all these concepts and all these numbers and all these yeah it's really important you know i mean and so it may be that you know we go for yogacara interpretation that uh, all these things are you know non-dual in a certain sense that there's this kind of however we want to interpret that um mm -hmm. but you know, if you, if you there, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the, the Dharma is like a raft. It's use, uses you, you use it to, to cross the, the, right. the, the stream of, of samsara to get to the other side. When you get to the other side, you let the raft go because all of these things are conventional. But if you let the raft go in the middle of the river, <laughs> then you get, then you drown, right? right. You know, you, the raft is useful. Yeah. Conventional things are really useful. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting too, because these early teachings, which are, you know, vital yeah, to understanding suffering, certainly, mm. and, and the, the possibility of freedom from that suffering when they're, when they're sort of left aside because you've had a non-dual experience or because you've had a, you know, breakthrough experience of some sort, you know, which can happen in, in, in some of these practices, even, you know, even, even in the, Practicing from the four foundations or practicing the Anapanasuti, Sata Suti, you know, we can have these breakthrough experiences where that subject object duality just falls away. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so, so what would, you know, what happened? What happened? You know, and, and the, in order to understand what happened, the other teachings are really essential. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was, you know, as you were talking about Bhikkhu Bodhi's statement, one, one could even see at the end of the Anapanasati Sutta where you're really exploring phenomena, you know, of impermanence and, and dispassion. When, when that happens, what's going on in those moments? You know, what dispassion and, and is a result of, in a sense, a soft, complete softening around the, uh, around the subject object. There's no object to hold on to. There's no subject to hold on to it. And there's, there can be a, an experience of that. And, you know, that's, oh, okay. And, and that experience, then you can kind of understand how that would, that could lead to a letting go, uh, to a, yeah, a letting go of self, basically. And, and, um, and in that letting go, you know, what arises but equanimity, because it's, we're in a place of balance at that point. And, and that opens up the possibility of, of real appropriate, uh, response because you're not responding from self and other you're responding to what's here now mm. to 
that it, suchness. <laughs> this is what's here now. This is what needs to be responded to. And this is the, the appropriate response. And it's coming from a very different place than that subject object place. It's, it, it's not coming from a place then of, of grasping, basically. One way to interpret that is mm -hmm. that, that uh, our ordinary, I mean, you could describe it as a dualistic kind of interaction with the world is one where we're uh, setting ourselves up as uh, a solid self, uh, a permanent self that we're grasping towards or reacting against. It's just it's just not usually described that way. It's not described that right, way in the early right, in the early right. teachings. It's simply described as a as a release around these unskillful tendencies. Yeah. And the unskillful tendencies are going to be a result of clinging to the subject object, you know, right. idea. Mm -hmm. It's like I you can't have this because it's mine or or whatever. I mean it's mm -hmm. you know, however we respond to that and yet the subject and object are here and and you know how do we how do we hold that right um and if we if we can hold that from this this awareness of the fact that they're actually cons fabrications right yeah and the other i mean the other issue sort of related issue has to do with sila or ethics in general which on the one hand you can say you know the true ethical position is, as you say, sort of coming from a position of suchness or whatever, getting away from this subject-object distinction. But and at the yet. same time, <laughs> yeah. at the same time, ethics is essentially a, a dualistic or multipleistic kind of thing. I mean, it's talking about right and wrong. It's talking about what you should and shouldn't do. You know, it's talking about things like, you know, killing and stealing and sexual misconduct that always involve two people at least if not more right so this and and these are all uh, uh things that we should and shouldn't do in in the conventional world of people and other you know and objects that we own or at least yeah. apparently own yeah. and yeah you know i mean so there are all these kind of nuances here where an unskillful understanding of of non-dualism or emptiness could lead to a complete can get, transgression yeah. can get and it has i mean sure, in other words sure. I've, there's <laughs> I mean, I've read a couple of oh, God. you know been... people in Zen and other places who got into these things and got into these terrible situations. Yeah. I went in New York, as I recall. Yeah. And if you read his his justifications for it afterwards, it's all of this stuff about you know, and I've forgotten the exact phrases he used, but you know, essentially emptiness, non dualism, and so therefore I can do whatever I want. Oh, or yeah. And and that's, that's that's where it becomes pernicious, and so you have to be sure. careful about that. For sure, um, yeah, and why yeah. The, the 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 conventional is really so important not to lose sight of. Yep, absolutely. No, I mean that's that's a blunt case of bypass. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's like oh, well, I, you know, nothing's real anyway. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's that's lead to some very horrible and dangerous scenarios, situations. I mean that. Have, you know, brought down a couple of traditions, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, it's it's sad because it's just a misunderstanding, and yeah. So this is, I mean, it's 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 all these things are very complicated. Yeah, <laughs> they're not, yeah, yeah. They're not they're not easy. Um, yeah. And I think if you get if you grab if you if you come at them too quickly, 
a lot of people get taken. I, I know when I was a kid, when I was younger, when I was getting into philosophy, when I was in high school, and you know, I sort of really, you know, this this stuff about emptiness is just so cool, and you know, yeah. because it is, it's it's transgressive in a sense, you know, it's sort of trying to get us beyond all of our concepts. Which, wow, that's a huge thing. Right. Why am I bothering studying? <laughs> why am I bothering studying? Why, you know, why do I need to worry about ethics? That kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's other yeah. words. You can get you can get into it too quickly. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and I think that. Plenty of people have these amazing experiences just out of the blue, you know, where everything right. drops away. And that can either send them off a deep end or it can make them realize hmm, what happened and then want to explore what happened and then start, you know, just find the teachings that start to clarify it. Yeah. And, and recognize the ethical components that could, you know, recognizing all those risks you know, part of that f full realized nature, the fully awakened being, of course, is that those precepts were that you know are there, mm -hmm. um, and they, it's not that they need to think about it because there's no option. But at some point, they did. Sure, you know, they were practiced, and they're practice precepts, and that's why we practice for uh, those moments where we think we don't need them, or we may, you know, the mind may go that way. Mm -hmm. No, actually, this is here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's why it's helpful to have a a, a spiritual friend, a kalyanamitta, yeah. or or a teacher who is who has wisdom and and yeah. can sort of help help yeah. you, help you yeah. along the road because it's yeah. it's tough, it's difficult, it's not not easy. Yeah, but it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> so anyway, uh, wisdom, yeah, and the wisdom of coffee. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he looks at the bottom of his cup, which is almost empty. Ah, um, uh, yes, yes. So, uh, keeps helps keep us awake, as yeah, we've said before. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't wake us up, but it helps keep us awake. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Although I don't know, you know it could be. <laughs> if it helps your meditation, then who knows? Right. Upaiety was having this tour of the University of Chicago, and and it was basically a food tour she said but in the in the school of divinity the coffee shop is called the grounds of being this <laughs> <laughs> is brilliant you know it's like <laughs> so anybody who's listening from the university of chicago have some grounds of being that's right that's um right. great place by the way meanwhile we we say all this because it's of course how you support the show by buying us coffee yes uh which you can find through our website diggingthedharma.com Com, Com, yeah, and sign up to be a member, uh, and you can ask us anything if yep. you choose. Some people choose not to ask us anything, but you know, but they uh, can. And it's not that we can answer anything, but you can ask us anything. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, anyway, this has been a really fun conversation, I have to say. Yeah, neat. And uh, even though I know you're really not there, you are there. So I will, you know, in, in, in this, <laughs> are any know, of us really here right, anyway? Exactly. <laughs> so. Um, uh, enjoy the rest of your day and we will see all of you are here or you will hear all of, I don't know what to say at the end of the podcast. <laughs> we don't see any of you, but we hope you we hope enjoy the show and we would yeah. love to hear from you. And yeah. uh, we, you will continue hearing from us if you choose. <laughs> so have a good day. Thanks, John. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at digginthedharma.com where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net and Doug at dougsdharma.com. <laughs>